The most listened to episode of 2020 is Trent Dalton chatting about all our shimmering skies. It was also the podcast's 200th episode, which was pretty special. And Trent was kind enough to share that with me. Trent's books resonate so deeply with people because as he says, he puts his heart and soul into his writing, which is evident on every page in every word. Trent is also the most listened to episode of all time. Uh, with the episode Boy Swallows Universe in episode 47. Welcome to the Words and Nerds 200th episode. Trent Dalton joins me today to celebrate his new book, All Our Shimmering Skies. It's such an honour, Danny, um, to be a part of this amazing podcast you're doing here. And it's just really cool to be talking about this book. You know my work and you've given it a lot of thought and um, I don't normally get such good questions, to be honest. (laughs) Your podcast is the one that I listen to when I want to listen to an interviewer who has actually read the books she's asking questions about (laughs) and asks really interesting, insightful questions about it. And I think that's really special. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It was a good chat. Great chat. You're a good interviewer. So enjoy listening to the podcast. (laughs) That's brilliant what you do. Honestly, I'm so in awe and we need more word nerds like yourself, people that are passionate about books. Trent Dalton, Australian novelist and journalist, has sold 500,000 copies of Boy Swallows Universe. It was also long-listed for the Miles Franklin Award. Trent has appeared on the Words and Nerds podcast in episodes 47, 69, and of course, today's 200th episode. Today, Trent and I traverse the world on an odyssey to 1942 Darwin, to Shakespeare, to Wilde, to the sky, and back again. Join us for a chat about this wondrous book, and thank you for listening. It's been such a pleasure to bring you these amazing stories from these incredible people, and we're at 200 episodes, and I couldn't have done it without all of you listening and coming on to the show. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the Words and Nerds podcast, Trent Dalton. Danny, Danny, thank you so much for having me back, and it's a joy to be back, and I believe... You put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago, and um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction weren't, were pretty strange to each other, and uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day, and, I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. <laughs> well, same goes, same goes. Look, I was about to say you... You're on episode 47, like early days with Boy Swallows Universe for both of us probably in this space. And then we talked about By Sea and Stars in episode 69 and you're back. And can I just say, thank you for wearing the tux, Trent, but this is episode 200. Well, I had to put the goods for this this amazing occasion, Bernie. Congratulations, 200 (laughs) episodes. How the the hell you do that? You're a working mom. Um, I'm so impressed. Like, Danny, like, 200, can you believe that? Is it, no, is it quite... I can't, really. Yeah, it just so, keeps happening. So, and I can't give it up. It's like the little passion project. So, it's my third child. I just love it. So, <laughs> here we are. I'm, um, I'm so impressed with your uh, reading ability that you can cram through that many books and it's more than 200 books and I just think that is phenomenal. So, uh, well done on, on just the, the reading but um, so well done on your amazing interviews. That's really that's amazing. That's a great achievement. So oh, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, we're going to talk about this. This is about you, Trent. This episode is about you, right? And look, I just wanted to say what a weird year. <laughs> I mean, this book was meant to be released in June. It's now September. And I remember I was thinking about it today. We caught up at the HarperCollins Literary Bites event just before we went into lockdown. That was the last thing I went to before we all had to shut ourselves inside. Um, I remember hugging you and going, hey, can you believe this? We're doing it again. And uh, I was so excited and and I just could not believe it was all happening. And, and that building, you're up there in Sydney, the lights of Sydney are just on fire. And, you know, life just felt really, really good. We'd gotten through the summer from hell and I was ready to kind of bring this thing out into the world. And then, um, yeah, and then the strangest thing happened. And I distinctly remember you coming up to me and saying it's like, and you know, you were one of the first people to read that book, and um, and I remember you 
kind of getting in touch and just saying, "Hey, Trent, I think it's all right." You know, I mean, I don't want I don't want to preempt any feeling, but I took it as that. I hope that's the case. But it was like I remember you just saying, "Hey, mate," you know, because you're just so nervous about. For me, there were so many emotions wrapped up in that thing, and I remember just feeling so good that you took the time to to read it, to dive in, and go, "Hey, I'm going to give this." this mofo from Brisbane, another shot. And I'll, I'll spend some time reading his second novel. And, and, and that's really sweet. And I remember just going, Hey, like, thank you so much. And then, yeah. And then the world kind of seemed to fall apart. So, um, yeah. So it's really nice to be talking to you all those months on. And can you believe like we're talking about my tiny success of 200 episodes, our Trent 500,000 copies of Boy Swallows <laughs> Universe. Like what the hell? What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. What's that about? What's that about? I mean, that, that figure, I, I can't get my head around. I try it. I keep thinking of, um, five, um, MCG, um, grand final crowds blows my mind. Like it's sort of like five Pink Floyd concert stadium <laughs> concerts, you know? So it's just like, it sort of really blows my mind. And, and then I find out like, Oh wow, there's some media release about that thing. Um, crossing 500,000 sales in Australia and and you're just like, that's that's amazing. But the thing I really go deep on is that, you know, I don't, I don't think every one of those 500,000 people who read it really adored it or anything, but I, I feel some of those people did. And, and, and I do also feel if they read it to the end, it's so beautiful to think that they would have gotten the message that Eli Bell, I hope, is offering the world, which is it's going to get good. So no matter what... Uh, whatever hardship or whatever tough stuff you're going through, that's the sort of secret to that book. It's a very simple one. And, and it's that life gets good if you just, if you can just hang in there. And, uh, and I just was really thinking about that during COVID and, and, you know, pandemic times and just going, you know, you know, there is a light and uh, it never goes out. It's what Eli Bell did, you know, to get to his, to get to 20, to get to the age of 20. That's all he had to do. He just had to hang in there. And sort of, um, I thought, oh, that's cool. That's so timely when you're talking about Boy Swallows Universe. And I think I think that's why it resonates with so many people. Is that why you think it's been resonating with people so much? Oh, it's, um, you know, I, I tell you one thing, Danny, in the last, between the time I last spoke to you, I've been getting, you know, the strangest letters from across the world, like a 14-year-old boy in Korea um, and uh, uh, a kid in Italy and a girl in Russia, like, swear to God, and uh, and they, they say the same thing. Thank you for reminding me that there's hope. It never felt more true to me that um, that that's all that that book was ever about. Is is that um, is that with well two things: love and a bit of hope. So so basically, uh, if you don't have one of those things, if you don't have both of those things, your history. But um, but if you have one of them, you're you're kind of going to get there. But it's so beautiful when you see that some kid in Korea and Russia and, and all over the place says, oh, it's the same thing over and over is that thank you for reminding me that that, that this will end and, and that there is this thing called hope. And, and that's a very universal sort of thing. So I think if, you know, whilst that story, as you know, is so kind of um, strange and, and, and I always struggled to describe what it was about over those two years, sort of going, okay, well, it's a story of a kid who I used to just – I used to just change it to like a sentence and say, well, it's a kid who busts into Boggo Road Women's Prison on Christmas Day to save his mum's life. You know, I was sort of like, that's it. But it's not even anywhere near that that's what it's about. But it's like, well, that's kind of the story. That's the crux of the story. And, um, and you know, the kid gets messages from a mysterious red telephone. But, you know, it's so much more than that. And then you can crystallise it even further and just say it's a story of hope. And so, yeah, and so the, the more the more you crystallise it, the more universal it becomes. And so I think all those things have sort of, it's such a book that needed the word of mouth anyway, that people who go, actually, you think it's going to be about drugs and crime and Australian tragedies and, and darkness, but it's, you need to read it. And then, and then I, I think the thing that has been working is that people go, Hey, actually don't really sort of, don't worry about what that blurb says. It's actually, it's actually a book about hope and it's actually really kind of hopefully something positive that, that it brings to the world. And that, that was a great um, lesson for me to learn you can write about darkness and uh, and and if you go so deep in the darkness, it makes the light shine brighter. And I, I really like that. And that that's something that I love in people like Hemingway's work and, you know, um, Steinbeck's work. They These were people that were so in touch with the darkness that when they wrote about the light, it just hit home so strongly. And, uh, and anyway, I'm, I mean, I think that is the thing that resonates. It's that, that, that word hope, which is 
such a strong word and it's so overused but it but it's such a beautiful word it's so beautiful and and it's you know i need to i need to bloody spray paint that i'm i'm, I'm here in my bunker where i write now as i talk <laughs> to you danny i'm gonna i'm just looking at this white brick wall i'm just going maybe i just spray paint that on my wall or just go hope you know and then maybe on the other wall like darkness and then on the other <laughs> light you know and just keep remembering these things because it's really powerful to rem- remember those contrasts well and, could we, you know, could we live stream that because that seems like something you know everyone i think would want to see trent spray painting graffiti painting his bunker <laughs> trent I've, I've got this mood wall and stuff right that i put up for that shimmy skies book but why don't i just go yeah hey guys i'm doing for my third book it's just my words and inspiration yeah yeah that, that would be so funny yeah <laughs> now all our shimmering skies your new book it's different but it still holds those same things like we were talking about about boy swallows universe it's got this magical oh. wonder it's got tenderness it explores pain and of course it's got hope so before we dig really deep into this book hit me with an <laughs> hit me with an elevator pitch trent uh, it's the story of Molly Hook, 12-year-old girl growing up in Darwin during the during World War Two, and she her life's so tough, Danny, that she's come she's become convinced that her family has been cursed. Um, and as the bombs fall across Darwin, she escapes. She runs away from her whole life essentially, and she goes deep into that extraordinarily magical wilderness of the Northern Territory um, that we all know and that Australian landscape that we all know so intimately and that touches us and moves us in different ways. And she's going in search of the man that she believes will remove her curse. Um, And uh, along the way, she's aided by two of the most unlikely companions, a cantankerous, hard-drinking, chain-smoking actress, named Greta Mays, who I love, and a mysterious, deep, deep-thinking, fallen Japanese fighter pilot named Yukio. And uh, and this trio of unlikely companions um, get themselves in an adventure that is really about gifts that fall from the sky and the curses we dig from the earth and the secrets we bury inside ourselves. And it's kind of my big love letter to Australia, but also my, um, my kind of deep, deep, um, love letter to the sky and to the people I've lost who I kind of talk to up at that sky. And uh, so it's all these really deep things inside this kind of Australian odyssey that I've tried to write. So, um, yeah, it's many things. But, again, it's, 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 it's truly a love story. And, um, and it's about people in search of love, people who have lost love, and people who might just find love within themselves. And I remember when we first spoke about this, I said, you know, what have you got coming up? And you said exactly that, you know, about gifts from the sky and curses we dig up. And I'm wondering, because you just sort of started writing it back then, and it seemed like, you know, it hasn't changed from that very first concept to now. Obviously, that's probably not the case. But how how did it evolve from that very first idea to the book that I'm holding in my hand now? Did it evolve much or did you have that really clear idea in your head of this is what it's going to be? Well, the fir- the first thing I knew, you know what? I-, I wanted to write a story about gifts that fall from the sky. So, so, so that that little thing I just said about gifts that fall from the sky, curses different. You know, this I've been telling myself it sort of became a mantra, and and then that turned into this kind of silly kind of poem in my head, so that I would tell myself. So, the, f- the first gift is a map. The second gift is a friend. The third gift is a miracle. The fourth gift is your end. And uh, and and I don't know whether it's the universe just planting that stuff in my head the same way the universe planted that opening line of Boy Swallows Universe, your end is a dead blue wren, but there's something about that type of thing, that kind of self-myth-making, myth, like I'm doing it to myself as if I'm trying to sort of tell myself this stuff's magical that I've come up with as if it's come from some rich storytelling place and i got to run with it and so i turn it into these things that i want to convince myself that make it beautiful and so I, I do run with it and so the first thing that i ran with and like i distinctly remember i was i was i was down in this house i'm in right now my wife was doing the laundry um just around the corner from where i'm sitting and i ran out and i said fee i'm writing it i think my second book's going to be about four gifts that fall from the sky and I told her the whole story, right, of all our shimmering skies. And she's just doing the – it took an hour. Like, it took, she's just doing the thing. She's she's taking the clothes to the laundry and she's hanging them out. And then she went upstairs 
and then she went to the to- and she's closed the door and I'm still telling the story. You know, they, they meet this guy and then they meet this and I'm telling the whole narrative and then there was this point and I finished it and then, you know, I'm, I'm like at the last page or the last sort of chapter and, and what you might call the twist, right? If there's a twist in that book, I it's the thing that really got me jazzed about it and it was and I, I hit fee with my wife's name's Fiona and I, I, I just go and then, you know, and then this happens. And then she's like, flush, wash her hands, come out. <laughs> and she's like, that's effing brilliant. And I was like, really, really, really? <laughs> and then uh, and then that's where it begins, you know what I mean? Like, And, and it needs Fiona. I need Fiona because she is such a tough critic. Like, she will really... She will really go deep and go, uh, work on that, work on that one a bit, you know, like I'm all, I mean, it's, I bore her with storytelling to any, like, it's (laughs) like, I just, all I do is just tell her these stories and what about this? And what about a, you know, (laughs) you know, all all of these elevator pitches, like you just said, like elevator (laughs) pitches. And so that's the first thing that happens, you know, so how the book unfolds into four parts, the first sky gift, the second sky gift, third sky gift, fourth sky gift, and it kind of became this kind of natural bone structure and so from there i just start filling in the pieces and of the puzzle and kind of um well go actually genuinely go find my story actually by physically walking it and kind of you know i mean i want to get ahead of our chat or anything but you know that's when i call people up in darwin and go hey would you do me a favor i want and i tell those people i tell you know i find out this woman tess addy this extraordinary woman who runs these indigenous tours through that beautiful top end wilderness. And I just told it straight up, Danny, what I just told my wife. I said, here's this story I've got in my head and I need this girl to go through places that I've seen before that I love, like up in Darwin, like Litchfield National Park, which is a place I've been three times in my adult life and I believe it is the most wondrous place and pretty much uh, Darwin's greatest secret, Australia's greatest secret. Um, It's only about an hour sort of south of Darwin, this place, and it's filled with everything that's in that book Danny like it's like there's the most magical waterfalls and the most most treacherous um, promontories and um, rock sort of structures that fall away dramatically that you're walking across them and going oh my god this is the greatest Hitchcockian climax location you could ever come across and it's on our well it's not quite on our doorstep (laughs) for most Australian cities but you've got to go a bit to get to it but it's extraordinary and then and then all those things including a lost city of stone structures that reminded me of dangerous men that I knew in the 1980s frozen in stone and you know my mind just my imagination just got the better of me and um, this was all shown to me by this extraordinary woman Tess Addy who sort of is you know her whole family ancestry is is belongs to that land and she, and I'm telling her this over the, this story over the phone she's like come on up I'll I'll, I'll show you where Molly goes and and it, so all these all these things like it starts down here in that bunker, I go up, I tell Fee when she's doing the laundry, I phone Tess Addy, you know, and suddenly you, Danny, have that that book in your hand. And I, I find that magic. I find that whole process just magical in itself, you know, and you've just got to go where the universe bloody bullies you and, and pushes you in the back and kicks you up the backside and says, no, nah, this is the story you've got to tell, buddy. So, so forget all that other stuff you've been talking about all those other stories and uh that you wrote down in notepads this is the one and 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 people like tess addy tell you that it's the one when she sort of says and she should do this and she should do that and so it all yeah just um you know you put it in the in this beautiful enamel pot you just put it in the oven and next thing you know you've got a you've got a novel I love that we go from domesticity to uh, magic and wonder I love it it's just so real life <laughs> oh well well isn't it you got to find it you got to find it you got you got to step out the door i mean i mean that's the thing i mean that's the story of that book it's like so many people are telling molly don't you dare go into the deep country don't don't do it because and the, you know her father's saying you know haven't you she keeps hearing these stories from her friend sam and and they're the most wondrous magical stories and they're inspiring her to do things that are beyond her but her old man is going. Well, Sam's not telling you the darkness of that place as well, and uh, and I and I love that too. But she still does it, and she still goes and finds her story. And we all have to do that, don't we? I mean, we all have to do that. Look at you, man. Like, why why did you do two hundred words and nerd podcast episodes? Like, I find that extraordinary. You had to step out your front door. You know, I'm saying metaphorically, <laughs> and and give give. 
give that a chance, you know? And and it, the funny thing is, of course, it's kept you indoors more than anything. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I find that amazing, you know, and you built your story. And like, that's a massive achievement. And I just love anyone who sort of decides to kind of, as I say, step out their front door. I like that because there is this element of you just not, you have to just not care about rejection or failure. You just have to go, oh, well, it could all turn to crap. No one will listen or no one will read it. I'm just going to oh. do it anyway. Oh, don't even get me started. I mean, that's <laughs> it, right? Oh, okay. I mean, even pitching that story to the editors at HarperCollins, like I was terrified. I'm like, what's the bo- what's the kid who wrote Boy Swallows Universe who knows a lot about 1980s gritty Brisbane? Um, you know, it's not my place to write about 1942 World War World War II history and and deep country wilderness up in up in the Northern Territory. But you know what? That's that's what I had to tell in that year or that time, and 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 I was so glad that I, that I did. And you're so right. It, it, each one of these things takes some sort of chance, and actually takes a huge amount of humility and sort of just going, get over yourself. You got nothing to lose. No one expects anything. You're the luckiest bastard on the planet um, that you can get to write a second book. So swing for the fence, you idiot. You know, and it's like just go for it. And then and then that is such a freeing thing. And then you sit down and write this thing that suddenly you go by the end of the full stop that you write the last one and you go, you know what, that's even, you know, I'm so happy with that, you know, and you just go, cool. And, of course, that that comes with other things because suddenly you're protective of it and you hope it does okay. And- <laughs> I want to get back to Darwin because when I was reading it, it's such a love story to the natural world and, like you said, to Australia. And there are just some beautiful scenes of nature from nature's perspective and it has a real magical quality <laughs> in it, you know, about the power of nature. And in one part of the novel, you say, you know, Darwin is a place of magic. It's power of the earth and the Northern Territory. It feels things. And I think for anyone who's been there, and I've been there myself, it is one of those places where you just put your feet on the ground and you go, wow, there is something (laughs) very special and wondrous about this place. (laughs) Oh, I'm hearing you, Danny. That's so well said. So well said. I mean, I didn't hop on a plane until I was 20, right? I I was actually probably about 21. I got sent to Darwin on a story. So Darwin was the first place other than Brisbane I ever saw. You know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> yeah. like, was that? So I was struck. You know, that place hits you immediately with its heat. It hits you with its smells, um, its colours, and its complete difference um, in the dry season and the wet season and the way the whole place feels like, still feels like a frontier town, but it certainly did in 1942. And, and then what I'm talking about with that kind of, it's a place that works on all senses, all five senses and then that that honestly that deeper one and forgive me for getting a bit you know um touchy-feely or whatever but the sixth one the soul you know the one that you just like it gets you in places where you feel raw and exposed and you're just you're looking at things you're looking at the sea at a place like that and you're looking at the sky and i went been back there many times and kind of the most recent trips i I did do i did get pretty deep and started like i had had to do this story for the weekend osmag which was my day job and you know like what you're talking about there danny all that stuff about it kind of it has a sense to it has feeling uh, a feeling and all of that really cool deep stuff about what we do to the earth and and the repercussions of it and all of that stuff you really feel it in a place like that because it is so beautiful particular inhabitants on this island indigenous inhabitants of this island called Groot Island sort of on the edge of Arnhem Land and I was talking to some incredible people and particularly this guy named Steve Buckler Waramara um, and he's the kindest gentlest most charismatic wonderful bloke and we're standing together deep in the wilderness and that guy's telling me about how he's using the knowledge of land and, and, and bush medicine and, and, you know, what he genuinely called magic, you know, a form of magic to cure his own MJD disease, which is this horrendous neurodegenerative disease that affects your, your, your function, the functions of the body, but keeps your sort of brain relatively intact and kind of, and it's a real tragic kind of thing to unfold for any person who, who, who is, who inherit. It's a, it's a disease that you can inherit. And, uh, Anyway, that afternoon, you know, I'm getting all deep and thinking deeply and I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of this place. Um, I've got a beer in my hand because I've finished the, the job I had to do and I'm at this motel on Groot and I'm looking up the sky and I'm thinking about the people I've loved and lost in my life and I start talking to the sky and I'm, you know, you're going deep on the, I mean, I'm not, 
I'm not one to normally do that, but it, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that's NT. Like that's what that place does to you. It gets it got me and always does thinking pretty deep and about the past and about the future and about where I was at like right then. That was when Voiceworld's universe was going pretty nuts by then. And I'm looking up to the sky, talking to my dad, who's basically Robert Bell in that book. You know, he's one of the key figures in that book. And I'm like, what'd you make of it, Dad? You know, like, can you believe it? Like, you're the, and, and that was so deep for me because that guy was the biggest reader of all time. Like, he almost read as much as you, Danny. And, and it's like, <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, he would have loved nothing more to see that Boy Swallows universe journey, you know, to see that thing on, on a bookshelf near his, near some of his hero, his writing heroes and stuff. So I'm getting pretty deep. And I started thinking there, like, wow, you know, we all have these conversations with the sky. And it was sort of in there that I really sort of got thinking about these private interactions that we all have with the sky and i think that's really sacred stuff it's just going to those places that inspires you so much and i just threw all of that into that book and 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 molly all of suddenly molly had all these thoughts and all these interactions with the sky because that's very very personal for me and private and kind of something that i'd been doing at that time it's funny that you say that you don't usually talk about deep things every conversation we've ever had trent has been really deep and meaningful (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, no, it's not true. I know it's the it's only it's it's all I talk about. I know I, I don't. I just can't do real estate. I just I just can't talk about it. I can't like, do it. And I think like, I think you're the same as me. Like at a wedding, it's no small talk. It's just tell me your deepest darkest feelings. I don't care what oh. you do as a job. Just tell me what makes you feel pain. <laughs> yeah, tell me what you. I love that. We're, we'd love be the that. worst wedding guests, seriously, true. Just you and I are just talking the pain, just talking about the pain. Well, I used to do this. Okay, I used to do this thing. You know, for a while there, I, I used to go around and I had in my wallet, stuffed in my wallet, a collection of yellow post-it notes, right? And uh, and I and I had it from about when I was twenty-one to about twenty-six. Before I got married, my wife was like, "Can you just get rid of those stupid yellow post-it notes?" I'd go around whenever we'd go out, I'd stop someone and go, "All right." And I'd ask them like five really deep questions. And then I'd ask them also their top five. And I'd take these notes on this yellow post-it note thing. And I'd stuff these things in my wallet. And it'd be like um, favorite film, favorite song, uh, you know, favorite book. You know, it was just the top five big. Because as far as I'm concerned, that's that's all I want to know about you. You know that's what I mean? Fantastic, I want to go deep Trent. right away. Let's do it. Let's and do I'd it now. What, oh, are you, what are your big five yeah. questions? <laughs> well, can I ask you? Oh, what, okay, what, what, yeah, go for it. Okay. All right, favourite film, favourite film. Oh, favourite film. You started with a hard one. I had my book ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do um, that last. I've got to say E.T. Uh, is one of them because it was the uh, first film I ever saw with both my parents. They're divorced now. So it has a bit of nostalgia for me. You know? Oh, that's beautiful. No, it's yeah. more than a movie. Yeah, it's a moment. it's more than a it's movie. It's a moment for you. That's it. So I'm going to yeah, stick with no, E.T. Can't beat that. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> All right, I'm going to say, um, yeah. Well, you know what, mine's mine's exactly the same. I mean, I mean, it's yeah. Like, there's a million other I could say, Vertigo and a whole bunch of other stuff that's kind of really spoke to me as an adult. But I, you know, my favorite film of all times, easily Back to the Future, because oh, yes. I was like six, seven, eight, completely. Oh, don't even get me started on the links between Back to the Future and Boys Fallers Universe. It was the great. <laughs> I think we talked great, about that. <laughs> Yeah, the great hidden story of Boy Swallows Universe is, you know, the clock tower ends at a clock tower. Uh, you know, Eli Bell is basically a 12-year-old Marty McFly. And, uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, that, that movie just is, oh, man, I could write, a, seriously, I'd like a 300-page book about the influence of that thing for sure. Well, I think, All we right, chose, no, I think our movies were good. They match the nice 80s movies. Yeah, yeah, completely, <laughs> completely. Okay, and then I used to just go song. I'd go song. All right, for me it's Sway Bikrunga because I've sung it to my kids since they were babies to put them to sleep. Are you flipping kidding? That is like one of my favourite and really? our favourite family songs. Wow, we sing Bic- it all the time. That's crazy. Oh, man, Sway, Ma. She's amazing. Bic- <laughs> Bikrunga, I, I, I fanboyed her once through a fence at, um, at Gardens Point and she was doing a concert and I was just raving about Sway. I was just oh, going, she's beautiful. Sway yeah. is a masterpiece. She's I have sung that. that song to my kids since they were born. It puts them to sleep and they still ask me to sing it now. That's crazy. When my eldest daughter Beth was born, we would sing this beautiful lullaby that she has on that. Um, she has an album called Beautiful Collision mm-hmm. and it's a song called When I See You Smile. Um, my wife, when she sang that to Beth, when she's like six months old, it's like Trent Dalton just weeping, just weeping. And it's just this <laughs> Bic Runga kind of lullaby thing that is the most amazing thing. Oh, on Bic, it. we love you. We All love right. you, Bic. All right. 
All right, I'm saying sway as well. That's, that's it, done. Sway. It's a match. <laughs> and then I'd say something like, you know, dish, favourite food, oh, favourite um, food. I'm just going to go chocolate. Going to be real broad there. All right, I'll go Turkish Delight then. Okay, let's just narrow that to, <laughs> yeah, chocolate. And then I'd ask, um, we've done song. Yeah, okay. Um, and then it's that kind of classic, like, you know, someone's about to knock on the door. Who do you want it to be? You know, Saturday night, mm. someone, is, anyone can knock on your front door. Who's mm. it going to be? I'm going to be really sappy here. I want it to be my auntie who passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, oh, man. Oh, man, that's beautiful. No, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Like I'd normally say Eddie Vedder, but I'm about to say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say my dad. I'm going to say, no, it's honestly, that's true. I, it'd be my dad. He's carrying a six pack of gold. With Eddie Vedder. Oh, oh my God. It's yeah. Dad with Eddie Vedder, and we go and we go put the white album on, and we're just like it's the greatest night of all time. Oh my god! Well, I've got my Arnie, oh. but like with her is obviously Oscar Wilde. So, oh, <laughs> oh man, that's beautiful. Dad. Oh, don't isn't that just the most beautiful thing? Thinking of the people you love and that you miss, but also them interacting with like <laughs> the most unlikely people. Like that would be so beautiful. But you know what? Those questions, and they are so important, Trent. Like they just seem really sort of our favorite film, favorite book. But we've talked about them in a way that it's more than a movie, and you know, their their moments oh, and well, their their memories. You know, it's more than just oh X movie that I enjoyed. It, it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Oh, it's so much more than that. Like it's like that's it. Like it's like I don't want to hear about your house. I don't want to hear about how well you did on the stock market. Exactly. It's like I want to hear about. I want to hear about your auntie who you've lost, you know, and it's like because that's for me is going to connect us far better than any silly thing, uh, show offy thing that you can tell about how well you're doing in life, you know. And I just think it's so deep, and that's why I used to ask them, and I used to just cut to the chase. It's like, all right, that's why I'd collect these posters, and, and gave a reason to ask this, and, and it was sort of the journalist in me too, but it was kind of it became this massive project. I was going to wonder the reason I stuffed them into my wallet was that. I was going to sort of almost try and do what you're talking about and go, this person likes E.T. because, oh, man, you know, like, yeah, they, they, yeah, it reminds them of the, the time when her parents were together. And it's like that's really flipping beautiful. And so it could have become this great sort of big art project, but I don't know where all the, the, the yellow <laughs> You have to start again. They were, we've got one, so you've still got a way to go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, favourite book, that favourite book. You've got to hit me with that. You've oh, to- well, it has to be the picture of Dorian Gray, Oscar Wilde. He gets oh. two mentions. Can you tell me why? Yeah, why? Like you've read yeah, so yeah. many books. Why? Why did that one? Why does that one keep coming okay. back? Okay, because it's about, like we said, the beauty in the dark. It's about someone yeah. who can get so swept up in things that are superficial, and I feel like that is really reflective of today. You know, even though that book was written quite some time ago it's written about today as well. You know, we can get swept up in all the superficial stuff. And what, what really matters? Is it how you look? You know, is it that you don't age? Or in the end, is it who you are and the relationships that you form? You know, and he learns the lesson the very oh. hard way. But that's why I think it's still so relevant. And every time I read it, I just love Oscar Wilde because he's just you know, <laughs> out there. But um, every time I read it, I find something new about it and a new oh. way to relate it to 2020 or 20, wherever, you, you know, whatever the year we're in. Yeah, and, and all wrapped up in the most electrifying prose. You oh, know, all of right. those messages wrapped up in humour, electrifying prose, drama, the greatest characters you could ever read. Yeah, you and know, he's talking I about mean, homosexual amazing. relationships back in his time and he ended up being jailed for that. So he was also really brave and really, you know, didn't care about confronting society and their prejudices. So he's so ahead of his time. Um. Man, man, you, him, and your auntie would have the best conversation. <laughs> that would be so amazing. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so great. So I'm going to get back to um, your book now. I know we did this, this you know, tangent, which I think was great, but I think we should get back please. to all our shimmering skies. Let's get back. Let's pull this thing back. Let's back come to back. business, Trent. Back to business. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> now, the book is about living with grace and compassion, but it's also about, <laughs> like we talked about, becoming hard so that nothing can harm you. And I think it's just that beautiful blend, and we've touched on this before, but I think this is why it resonated with me because she tries to live with grace and compassion, but she also lives <laughs> yeah. with such pain, you know, and there's she finds hope when there is none. And I know we've touched on these things before, but I just love the idea of grace, you know, because that can mean so many different things. Oh, uh, and, and I'm so glad you say that word, grace. It's like at the beginning of that book, she's kind of misled on her on her 
she starts to realize early that she has to be hard, right? Because the world's hard and, and life was hard in Darwin in 1942, you know, very hard. It's very hard for Molly Hook and it's hard for her family. We're trying to get by being raised in this graveyard. She's in, she's in the toughest, darkest kind of place to, to come of age. Um, and she's kind of misled. Uh, um, her mum is giving her that advice for the right reasons because I won't give any spoilers away, but she knows life's going to get hard for young Molly. And uh, uh, there's this great Hemingway quote, and he talks about um, the idea that life and the world breaks everybody eventually. It breaks us all. And some of us must try to be strong at the broken places and the ones who can get by are the ones who are strong at the broken places. But here's the thing. With that quote, he says this great thing about the ones who don't break life kills. Mm. And, and, and it's, and it's, and it's almost, that's a dangerous thing for Molly to, to live by the mantra of staying strong and rock hard. And, um, and I really believe that's true. And there's, there's, there's so many people I know in my life who are so reticent of breaking and so terrified of breaking and, and, um, and, and sometimes I worry that, that, that it's going to kill them in the process, you know, and I just, I just think it's sort of, um, it's such a beautiful thing to remember that it's okay to break. And, and when you do break, that's when you find the grace, you know, and, and, uh, and I, and I, and that's also what Molly's mum's trying to express as well. But do be do be graceful, and that's a really hard balance to find for a twelve year old girl, you know. And uh, yeah, and and I, it's just something I'm just genuinely thinking about. I mean, to be honest, Danny, that's just from my life, you know. It's like how do you, how can you be, where can you take all the hard stuff, like all that stuff in Boyceville's universe, right? Like, okay, just because I I put it all into a book. And people read it and, you know, but that doesn't mean all that stuff's gone from my head or, or, you know, so, so where do you find the grace within it to sort of just go, all right, that's, that's in there. And, and the, um, the, the, the sort of hard parts of that and some of the sorrow and, and, you know, and, and that, that book ended so beautifully, but you know what reality is, um, the reality of Boyce Fuller's universe is a lot more complex and a lot kind of, um, life doesn't have happy endings all the time, you know? And so like, where do where do we take some of that stuff and how do we use it in a graceful way? And so that's just me processing still, you know, still processing stuff from Boyce Fuller's universe, but yet doing it through the eyes of this 12-year-old girl, Molly, who has to go on this great adventure to realize her grace. And I thought that's really cool, like, you know, to, to, to kind of come to the belief that you don't always have to be so bloody hard, you know, even though life has told you to be so... But if you find the right people, you know, that you can gather around you who let you be soft and let you be graceful, then that's a real great trick you can pull off as a human being. And, and so that was some really rich sort of um, emotional ground that I really enjoyed kind of treading um, through the writing of that book. Because there's power in vulnerability, isn't there? And I think as I've as I've aged, I've realised this because I think when you're younger, that's your first defence. It's that defence me- mechanism of I've got to be hard, I've got to be tough and nothing can hurt me. But it's not the actual reality, is it? And so to oh. let yourself be vulnerable, it's kind of healing in some ways. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm, I've been with my wife for like 20 years and it's only pretty much the last five that I've realized the power of vulnerability and going, oh, man, I'm a douchebag. I'm so sorry I said that. Or, And have you ever felt the power of that or just going back to your partner yeah. or whatever and just going, oh, man, I'm so in the wrong there. I'm so sorry. You know what I mean? And, and, just, and, and the curse of the moment lifts almost instantly. And, and like that is what you're talking about. And you're just going, then that, that, I don't know, there's something in that. But that takes – that takes a lot of stuff that you've got to strip away, like all of the terrible things that are inside me, like ego and, and pride and my sort of um, sort of weird belief that I'm sort of in the right sometimes, or, you know, when I'm, when I'm so, so often incredibly wrong. And you know what I mean? And you just sort of like, you know, so that's a really cool thing to remember to be, to be vulnerable. I mean, you've just said it so beautifully. That's so true. It's like vulnerability is what we're looking for, you know, and sort of, and that's how we, evolve it's like it's like you can't you cannot work with rock you know what i mean you need to you need to work with water you know and it's like and it's like you're so right it's like if that's how we 
we move on. You know what I mean? We can't just keep banging heads and someone, someone's got to give at some point for us all to kind of progress. <laughs> and it's like there's so many sort of great little ripples through life that you can apply that to, you know, and it's sort of from everything, politics to, I don't know, to the way Australia is right now, you know, and, and I think it's, um yeah, it, there's a lot of great kind of um, parallels, you know, in life with that sort of stuff. Mm. Now, talking about humanness and vulnerability, I mean, whenever someone brings up Shakespeare, they say it's oh, the human condition and that's why it's <laughs> lasted so many years, 400 years. And there is this thread in this book, you know, very small thread throughout the book of Shakespeare uh, being a yeah. motif. And you've mentioned Macbeth and Hamlet, The mm. Tempest, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and I sort of stopped and thought, besides the human condition, like what what is this thread trying to say? And I think there's so many parallels to do with women, you know, like Ophelia mistreated by men, then oh, yeah. nature from yeah. the tempest and the power of nature, love obviously, mm. suffering and, and blood. So why <laughs> why did you include the motif or the thread of Shakespeare within it? That's what I came up with. I'm probably totally off. Oh, it's beautiful. I love what you're saying. I love what you're saying. And and I love about Shakespeare, he's, he's writing about people who are trying to work the world out and and the people that succeed are often um people who learn to who have, who eventually fail who, who the people in shakespeare they start off as, as though they've got the whole world sorted and then they often fail abys- abysmally or I, I just i just love the way that guy is is playing with the notion that all of us humans don't know what the hell we're doing with this thing called life and uh and we're just you know all the world's a stage and we're just playing and you know we're just trying to get by and we're just trying to get to the end of the play and uh and and each of those references that it's molly discovering other humans it's like she's constantly so she's she's got this duffel bag right she's got this this rock that's shaped like a heart she's she's got she's got a little bit of food and she's got the complete works of Shakespeare. It's like, you know what? That's not a bad little bunch that's of all you need. That's all you need, right? And that's partly it. Like, it's like she's discovering that along the way because what better stuff to come of age with than, than the wisdom of Shakespeare to guide you along? But absolutely, you're right about the, the roles of women in Shakespeare plays, Ophelia. It just that motif sort of really just came in the most beautiful way where I needed a narrative moment to happen and the the ophelia motif was just perfect and i couldn't kind of believe the way it all happened i was like that's amazing because i had brought ophelia in because it kind of spoke a little bit about greta mays this beautiful kind of kind of very strong uh female figure that was inspired genuinely by 1985 madonna meets um that actress greta gerwig meets every amazing kind of femme fatale from 19 from golden age hollywood you know and i've got a whole i'm as i talk to you danny i've got a i've got i'm looking at about five pictures of you know the most beautiful kind of hollywood starlets just smoking cigarettes in black and white (laughs) that inspire greta but um, but so much of Shakespeare inspired Greta as well, and so so there were so many parallels between Greta and Ophelia, and and uh, but also water and drowning and and wanting so much, so many so many storytellers, Shakespeare and Homer, who gets a bit of a run in that book as well. They're dealing with people wanting to escape the world. They're trying to escape the world, and they eventually do in the most tragic ways. You know, it's like Shakespeare was so dark, you know, and, mm-hmm. and like. Who could get away with some of those endings that he has? I don't. I think if I took some of those endings to Harper Collins and said, "This is how it ends," <laughs> everyone how, dies. <laughs> everyone dies. I don't know how well I'd go, but um, but anyway. So so Molly's kind of worked that, and it's and you know, and then the same thing that like I I ran away from this theme, which is which is how to be good, right? I was running away from that because I, I knew I'd done that in Boy Swallows Universe. But you know what? I ran from that, like in my thinking when I was coming up with this, I was running from it, running, running from it for a fair while. And I was like, nah, man, what am I here for? Like, what what am I here for if not to unpack the stuff that's in my head, you know, because it hasn't been fully unpacked. There are still rocks that I'm car- carrying around, you know, like the way Molly's carrying her rock around. Well, of course I'm carrying my rocks around still. And my rocks are largely how to be a good man and, and, and how to be a good human being. And, and that's all Shakespeare was writing about. They, they were just 
absolute lessons on life and trying to work out how we all get through this thing. And, um, and that's what Molly suddenly found this kind of guidebook. And she's like, Oh, this character did this. And she keeps talking to Greta and Greta's like taking a drag of a smoke by a, a creek bed somewhere and assessing, yeah, she's thinking about that. And well, here's the reality of that. Here's, here's how that plays out in 1942 Australia. You know what? I, I love that. I love those, that those two women or one young woman and one really cool kind of, you know, thirties woman is kind of, um, you know, is trying to unpack those thoughts that this male writer had back in the day. And I thought, I thought that was really cool that to sort of her kind of going, well, here's, here's where, here's what Shakespeare's talking about there. And I thought that was really, really cool. And I, and, and I, I thought it was really fun. And then into that comes this, this exotic creature, Yukio, who is a, a force of nature, just a force of nature who's just a sponge for this land called Australia. And he's, you know, the way, just the same way Shakespeare would drop characters like that into a narrative. And so it's sort of like, it's dreamlike and it's kind of, um, you know, he played with dreams so beautifully. And I love that she starts out reading The Tempest, which is just this wonderful groggy fever dream of a play. And it's kind of, um, and it's all magic. And it's, God, if there is one Shakespeare thing that really probably inspired a lot of that story it's it's the tempest and mm. uh you know and so and anyway so i could go on but all of those themes you're talking about yeah they're absolutely in there for a reason and also it just was amazing how much you could just dip into any one of those plays and i literally had the complete you know this <laughs> massive tome on my desk when i'm writing it and just flip 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 oh my god that is exactly what they're going through right now they're going through this moment in this narrative so why wouldn't uh molly be reading a bit why not well let's let's make her read something about that at the at the time yeah absolutely and i thought the tempest with the power of nature and nature that can't be controlled i thought that was oh. um quite you know significant too oh that that great stuff that sam who's this beautiful kind of indigenous buffalo hunter who knows a lot about the land and and you know really inspired me in a lot i go up to darwin and it, an amazing Australian history of our Indigenous kind of cowboys, you know, these amazing Indigenous cowboys who were just the most amazing horsemen and they'd take down these ma- massive charging buffalo, you know, these amazing blokes. And uh, and But Sam is the first to tell Molly, you know, the earth will rebel. I love that kind of mm. thought. It's like don't – be careful. Just be careful. If you, you, you're trying to find all these things in that earth but don't – it's not to be trusted, you know, sometimes. And, and it's like it, it can turn on you, you know, and I thought that's a really powerful thought. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I guess I guess Shakespeare had that thought well before <laughs> I did. <laughs> so he had all the thoughts. Didn't, didn't, didn't someone say that all the stories had been written? So. Oh, man. He, had, he took them all. He took all the good – he took all the Story thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Story hog. Yeah. Story. I love that. Sorry, Shakespeare. Um, yeah. Look, we talked about fantastic female characters, and look, Molly, Greta, beautiful characters, and I loved Greta. I wanted to be Greta. She was amazing. But oh, they, that's <laughs> lovely you say that. I really love that. I love that she's a doer. You're, no, you know what? And I, she's she's a real hero in that story. I love that you really hooked on her because I do too. She mm. she's the one who gets shit done, and I, I just I'm really proud of her for that. You know, I really love that about Greta, and she doesn't even know how good she is, yeah. you know. She and she's real, to... you know, she's real, but she's hard, but she's vulnerable and she's lived and, yeah, she's oh, got the whole wow. package. Oh, thanks, Danny, for saying <laughs> that. That's really cool, yeah. But I want to talk about the the male characters as well because obviously we've got these beautiful heroines in this book, but, you know, mm. you talked about trying to be a better man and trying to take the rocks out of your bag in order to be a better man, but a lot of these men are incapable of doing that, aren't they? Well, because they've kind of been dragged down by their rocks, right? I mean, mm. they, they, and, you know, and I did question kind of writing those guys in that way. But again, I just go, don't be afraid of writing what you know, you know? Like, I mean, I just, you know, I just have seen too many men in kitchens at, at midnight that, that remind me of those blokes, Horace and Aubrey Hook, you know, that particularly Aubrey, you know, like he's, just the darkness that can over, overwhelm a bloke, you know, and 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 a, an Australian bloke, you know, and and I've done twenty years of journalism on the power of um, uh, of the dangers of men being dragged down by the rocks that they're carrying, and and the problems that that causes, and and you know, it, I feel it's my responsibility to to write about that. As so, as if if there's themes that I'm that are 
occurring kind of that are linking perhaps Boyswell's universe and all that shimmering skies, it's, it's, it's no, you know, it's no, um, coincidence. It's like, it's like, of course, it's like that, that all comes from, you know, my, how frightened I am of hard liquor and how frightened I am of, of, I don't know, even like things like anger and, and things of that, you know, that things that I've seen and things that were in Boyce Waller's universe and, and dark stuff, but that's just true. Right. I mean, and, and, you know, and people who have read Shimmy Skies go, Oh man, those guys, they're pretty full on. And they are, you know, but, but mate, Australian men at that time and in 2020 can be intense and can be so dark. And, and some of those people are raising kids just like, Horace and Aubrey, you know, and, yeah. and, and it's sort of tapping into everything I've seen as a journalist where you go into the suburbs and, and, you know, that all of that, that veneer of the great, beautiful, wondrous country that we live in. Well, yeah, there's still, this is still a place where, you know, one in four women die, you know, through domestic violence or, or all kinds of family violence. And it's a dark, dark old kind of place sometimes. And it's sort of, I can't run from that, and 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 it's like, look, that that is the truth that Molly's dealing with, and and um, but also the power, and I've seen this in real life too. What 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 love, how love can. I know this sort of seems dramatic. What I'm about to say, true love can ruin a man's life, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and that's the story of Aubrey, and and uh, that suddenly becomes, and, and and then how true love can turn to hate. And how and how hate then becomes like such a powerful force that you cannot stop, you know. And and with with Aubrey, it's almost as if he's sort of unstoppable. Like he sort of becomes this kind of like even just this sort of monster that just will not be stopped. He almost can't be killed because he's sustained by his own hate. And uh, and and that suddenly just evolved into this sort of character. So, oh man! And each each chapter, I'd go from the light of this beautiful girl Molly into the darkness in those chapters, chapters, and just sort of step down into that. And then, but you know, of course, you're stepping into your own kind of stuff. You step, you know, you're stepping into those kitchens that you know about. And so, it's sort of, I find that very interesting. And sort of like it's me again, just delving into stuff and worlds and 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 you know, just just bottles of liquor on tables that you know and and it's like well maybe i'm here to sort of maybe write about that you know that's stuff i'm still unpacking so it's sort of you know that's that is those sort of those people and you know i I love that there's still sam though to bring some of the light into the sort of into the male characters as well you know and even horace even horace has this sort of he's on the knife edge you know and so it's sort of like it's it's he's on the knife edge that guy but he's messed up by true love as well and and the story of two brothers kind of being messed up by true love i thought that's that's pretty powerful it was and yukio i loved yukio oh well okay i know i said greta's my favorite character <laughs> and molly's probably my favorite character but yukio is right? probably my favorite character <laughs> i don't know i just I, 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 all of my life i've been fascinated by us well not all my life probably about the past i don't know i came across it maybe on one of those early darwin trips this really amazing world war ii story about this japanese fighter pilot in the bombing of darwin um he got hit by ground fire coming from the aussie diggers and his his zero uh fighter plane went down uh crash landed on melville island on australian soil and uh and this guy um his name's Hajimi Toyoshima, and he he hits his head on on his flight controls as as he crash lands. So he's groggy, he's injured, he's got a pistol in his hand. This is real life. This is like, and uh, and he hops out of the plane and he starts wandering around Melville Island. And and I just have always thought, what the hell did that guy make of that landscape when he hopped out <laughs> of that plane? As in, where did he just? literally fall from the sky from landing on Australian soil. And, of course, the incredible story about that is that he runs into a group of Indigenous Australians, one man named Matthias Ulungara from the Tiwi Islands, um, is this incredibly brave man who creeps up behind this, you know, this guy holding a pistol. And uh, and he's the enemy. This guy, you know, Matthias knows that this guy's the enemy. And uh, he holds a tomahawk to him and takes takes Hajimi prisoner and um and Matthias is the first Australian to take a um a Japanese 
soldier prisoner um, on Australian soil. It's the most amazing story. And I've always, I used to, you know, I've, I've got a cutout that I that I I was going to write a piece of journalism about it like years ago, and I've always meant to. And then I just thought that would be the makings of a really interesting kind of character. And it's like we don't know if more Japanese um, pilots crash landed on Australia. You know, I mean, or we don't. You know, may, you know, I was just like, well, okay, what if one did, and what and what if one crash landed for a kind of a deeper reason than um, than a girl like Molly Hook could ever possibly imagine. And I thought that's that's a really cool thing. And then what if, okay, what if that guy was flying away from his own issues? And what if he was carrying his own rocks as well? And and what were they? And what if he potentially was about to succumb to the to the tragedy of true love as well and, and all of that stuff? And, and so... Yukio suddenly becomes this guy who kind of has his own landing in Australia and kind of, um, and he doesn't know, you know, because this place is so bloody beautiful that he sees he doesn't know. What if what if you were confused as to whether it's Northern Territory, Australia, or it's actually the high plains of heaven? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like a real sort of nice little sort of thought. He just can't, but he keeps looking at this landscape and keeps stopping to see a a praying mantis or a rhinoceros beetle or, um, you know, anything, an eagle, a wedge-tailed eagle or a snake, and he's blown away. It's just, like, so different to the place he's come from and so wondrous, and, and I, I, I really love that thought that he's just, like, almost on borrowed time and he's almost in this kind of half-heaven. He's not quite there yet, and I think that's so beautiful, like, this sort of thought that this guy gets to just – have this um, injury time, you know, this kind of extra time and just spend it with Molly and Greta. I just thought that's really cool. And that, that relationship and, and, and it was Yukio that got me so excited about the story and where that could go. I just, yeah, he, he so when I say he's like my <laughs> equal favourite character, I really mean it. He's, he's, he's just cool and, you know, and, um, yeah, taps into my love of Japanese culture anyway. That's just this kind of love affair I've always had and just kind of go, all right, maybe I can bring that in and, and also write about that extraordinary moment and try and give a touch of the other perspective um, and see what things might have felt like for, you know, people who were coming over here and, and you know, played such a part in what I believe is, um, you know, you know, for me just the most dramatic moment in, a, in modern Australian history. Mm. Oh, I love it. Lovely. Curve. What a gift too. Don't want to give away too much, but wow. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Now, last time we spoke about the writing process, and I've never forgotten what you said about putting your heart and soul on the page, and I hope you don't mind. I tell everybody that. I'm like, oh. when people say, oh, what's the, you know, the best writing advice you've been given? And I'm like, you know what? It's not about the technical stuff. It's what Trent said about putting your heart and soul on the page. So I'm sorry if oh. I tell your story to everyone. Oh, that's lovely you say that, Danny. No, I, I mean, all, all, all I know is that, and that's, yeah, that's why I have to go with this deep emotion and be a bit, like, people People sort of meet me and they go, oh, is that guy for real? Like, it's sort of like, it's like, just turn it down a bit, mate. Turn the volume down. And, Stop and asking I'm like, me really, my favourite film. Yeah, it's just I'm a bit of a, I reckon I, yeah, I've always thought, like, oh, God, did that person just think I'm a pain in the ass? But it's like, but I'm not. It's because I generally just operate on that notion of just, man, just go lead with the heart, you know, don't lead with the head, just lead with the heart sometimes. And I think in writing, it's really important, you know, and I sort of really tell, I've just been just, you know, all I can speak of is my own experience and I'm no flipping expert by a long shot. And I feel like I've got so much to learn and I'm so excited about learning it, you know, and and I would listen to freaking Richard Flanagan talking about his genius you know, b- before I said a word about any of this, but I'll just, I'll, I, I would say one thing for me that works is just going with the heart in that first draft first, definitely, you know, write, just write that first draft from the heart and then bring the head in only on the edit. Like don't even bring that totally disloyal, treacherous brain because the <laughs> brain's going to just sell you out, mate. It'll just like sell you down the river and just abandon you and just call you um, completely inadequate. And, you know, so it's kind of – but that heart doesn't – the heart is such a good friend. It just wants you to succeed, the heart. And uh, I just I'm, – I'm a big fan of the heart. And, <laughs> and the you know, soul. <laughs> and the soul, like just all of those good things, you know, that we, we still can't explain. And, of course, you know, well, the book talks about it. It's like it's – like, Molly has to go on that journey to work out what the heart is. You know, what what is the human heart? What is what, what is this thing that we can't describe? You know, because what is love and all those things? It, it 
that's where a rider should be thinking. You know what I mean? You can't be thinking in in brain and bone. You know, you got to be thinking in in the, the the thing that you can't define. Yeah, it's like it's like so. Yeah, I, th- I do think that's a really powerful way to approach riding. Just like man, just go for it and and be so edgy because I think um, it's a risk to write like that too. You know, and and it can fail and and it can really sort of just go south really quickly. But um, I, I think you still got to go there. Yeah, I think it's really important to go there. And what I didn't ask you, and I think we've touched on it a little bit, but I have this final question which I've been asking, and I want to know, why do you write? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't, I don't, <laughs> it's like, why do you do it? Like, well, I know because, no, because honestly it's a great question because why aren't you happy with just having the thought in your head? Like what, what, what? And and then is it anything from beyond the thought in your head could delve into like why are you doing it? Why do you need the um, validation? Why why do you need the affirmation? Why do I? Why is the story? Why do I have to run the story past Fiona and have it kind of affirmed and kind of validated? You know what I mean? Can't the story just exist in my head? And so why why put anything down on the page? And you know, and we often say, oh, it's um. Okay, because it's the it's the words that we all learn from, and and that helps us progress. and And I do believe that. I do believe that one letter in black ink on a blank page is better than what was there before. So that's that's so true. And I do believe that um, our ability to answer the question of what happened when Jack and Jill went up the hill is the greatest invention we've ever made, which is storytelling. And I truly believe that all of those pieces of furniture that we we go buy in IKEA and all that all that Danish furniture that we're always talking about, <laughs> and all those restaurants we go to, and all those chefs who talk about all those big ideas they have about new recipes and stuff that that is all in service to the wondrous interaction of two human beings, three human beings, four human beings sitting down and telling each other more stories. So, so that is. And, and writing is such a great way to tell more stories. But, but, but like totally in answer to your question, like why the hell do I write, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I, 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 I think, I think I was given the ability to, to do that in a reasonable way because I, I am starting to believe I needed it. You know what I mean? I'm starting to believe it, it, it became, my way of processing the first 20 years of my life and if I didn't have the the gift of being able to write out my feelings in bloody journalism in a weekend Australian magazine piece or go into someone's house and interview them for for two hours three hours and find out their life stories and how they got through this thing called life that I'm talking about that William Shakespeare was talking about then it would go really dark and I'd, I'd reckon I'd be smashing down Jim Beam bourbon, you know, and I, I really do think that. And I, I think, I think I, I can't, I, my wife sort of feels like it's the case and, and she knows that I, I had to go down and put my energies and my dark energy into Boyce Hall's universe for a very practical, very good reason because I needed to be a good dad, you know, and, um, and, I wouldn't have been a good dad if I was putting that stuff in other places. Like, like that. I, I, I really feel that's true. And and it's like, so for me, it's like, it's like a genuine. Like, I'd be a kind of rambling mess. I reckon if if I if I wasn't able to write. And and, you know, like, man, better just to put it all in this wild story, like like all our shimmering skies, than me bloody, you know, up at midnight with a bottle of Jim Beam bourbon. You know what I mean? Isn't that like mm. so much more healthy? Like, is it like you know, you just go that's really good and so it's sort of so like actually just like knife edge kind of reason why i think i think i was and i'm really grateful for that and i'm grateful that you know i don't know that's why i just love bloody english teachers you know who just said (laughs) they didn't i didn't even know what they were telling me at school and they're going don't be a dickhead follow your seeming only the only thing you're good at (laughs) please follow it you know and and stop stop being an idiot and just and put it to good use and it's like that's really important and it's like yeah i'm so glad i did you know because um because it it, it's the writing 
whilst I'm writing about trying to be a better man, it's the writing that makes you be a better man. So, mm. yeah. Oh, no, it's it's beautiful. And thank you for being so honest with that answer. And I find that that's where a lot of truth comes out when people go, yeah, why do I write? So it was a, it was a beautifully <laughs> oh, honest answer. So thank like, you. Oh, I've never asked myself. I mean, I probably have asked, you know what I mean? But I've, yeah, mm. I've never really been asked directly. Like, yeah, why are you doing all this? Why do you do this? <laughs> it's good that no that's one great. said, I don't know, I quit. And they're like, no, no one said that yet. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I just ruined that's, them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> now, Trent, uh, we have been on our own adventure tonight. I think we've traversed the world and we've talked about classics and we've talked about the, the world and nature and people and souls and good people and bad people and people from the past and people we talk to in the sky and I think we've just covered everything. I don't think you need to do another interview. No, I'm just joking. Um, I know, I know. We went on our little odyssey. We went on a urban odyssey, Danny. We did. Hey, um, it's it's a good kind of – I'm really so proud to just be – maybe it's because of the 200. I just wanted to sit and chat to you a bit more. Oh, look, I've got all night. I just thought I'd better, you know, let you guys and write your third book. so (laughs) deal fair enough fair enough yeah but thank you you're always so generous with you with your time and i thank you so much for it you know i've been a a massive fan since the beginning of your um your you know novel writing as a novelist so thank you for bringing another story (laughs) into the world and sharing so much of your thoughts and your truth whenever i speak to you i feel like we just go on these amazing um adventures and odysseys so thank you so much trent well well hey um promise me i'm your episode 400 guy right no matter where where we are right episode four 400, call me up and just like, all right, buddy, we're going to do this again. Yeah. That, okay. No, that thanks, is a Danny. deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, really enjoyed it. You made my day. Thanks, Danny. <laughs>